Roxy, does this December feel particularly decadent to you? It does. I think I have had at least two holiday parties every week since Thanksgiving. Oh my gosh. I know I'm so popular, but I don't think I can remember a busier December. It, it definitely feels pre-pandemic to me, mm-hmm. which is great, but uh, my bank account has been feeling the shift. <laughs> yeah, it's been spendy and indulgent, like all chocolate, mulled wine, and fancy pastries all the time. And Zero time, it feels like, to exercise. Self-help gurus would say, you just have to find the time. I know. We'll get to those annoying people soon. But yeah, I mean, there's a reason why New Year's resolutions happen right after Christmas, and a lot of them are about food or drink. Hello, dry January. December to January is a real frolic around and find out moment. Yep. I don't think that's quite how the saying goes, but I'm totally tracking. From Religion News Service, this is Saved by the City, a podcast from two Christian women starting over and over and over again in New York City. I'm Roxy Stone. And I'm Caitlin Beatty. I do actually really like the whole New Year's, new you, fresh feeling that January brings. I get into it. I, I do as well. I like the feeling of turning a new page in the in the old journal, as does every Instagram influencer, self-help guru, fitness coach, financial planners. January 1st is truly their moment to shine. Yeah. That's the part I don't love. I feel like self-improvement has become... I don't think I have to feel this way. I think it is true that it is like a billion dollar industry at this point. And it feels, I don't know, it feels kind of gross. Like like mm. it's preying on all of our vulnerabilities and insecurities. To my understanding, most self-help plans don't work. Like if you look at right. how the New Year's resolutions go. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a reason why I stopped reading the Bible for my Bible in a year reading plan in February. That's usually also when the diets go away or whatever your mm-hmm. your new habit mm-hmm. is. I think for a lot of people, these plans don't work. And then when they don't work, it compounds the feeling of mm-hmm. guilt or shame that you like just couldn't right. do it. You couldn't get your stuff together. And I also think that some of these people are probably like maybe not the healthiest people or maybe not particularly happy. I'm just being a snob now. No one's surprised. But like, I'm very <laughs> suspicious of the, like the, the veneer of perfection or the veneer of having it all together. Cause I just think people's lives are more complicated than that. Yeah. I mean, I am too. And I, I think that the whole, that whole industry and the way that it's become, this is nothing new, but the whole way that it's become like Instagrammy, like really does feed into this impulse to project perfection, even when you're not feeling it and Mm -hmm. not just perfection, but like an upward trajectory. So like what happens when a self-help person or this, somebody dedicated to like inspiring improvement has a bad Mm -hmm. year, Mm -hmm. they too can get caught in that own cycle of being like, no, life is only about moving up and to the right. Yes. I'm thinking of Rachel Hollis, who wrote Girl, Wash Your Face and several other... Mm -hmm. Your favorite book. (laughs) 
Yes. Like she, she was designed in a lab to annoy me. <laughs> I'm inherently suspicious of the perfection veneer. Yeah. What category would we put our podcast in? <laughs> like we've learned lessons from life. We're sharing about them, but we're not self-help. What are we? What would we, how would we categorize Saved by the City? Self-mortification. <laughs> Self-disclosure. <laughs> You know, there's there's a vulnerability yeah. element, self-analysis. I, I hope some hard-won wisdom. There's this one Instagram fitness influencer that I really like. I think one of the things that I like about him, and I know this could just, you know, this can turn into its own kind of formula. But I like that he's really been open about his mental health struggles. And like, Mm -hmm. he ended up in a hospital for several months, like he went through a really hard time in the pandemic, like gained a lot of weight, which is not what's supposed to happen when you're Mm -hmm. a fitness influencer. Mm -hmm. And also went away for a while and came back and was like, i need a break. Mm. There's, there is a way to do this. There's a way to be somebody who can help people Mm -hmm. and also recognize that like life takes a lot of twists and turns. And, and I think, I think that, I mean, I'm sure that helps people who are following him be like, Oh, okay. I, Mm -hmm. I might have a year where things don't go so well. And that doesn't mean that like, it's all over, you know? Yeah, I'm also thinking about influencers who change their mind about something. Like, mm. I used to follow a woman on Instagram who did, like, pale. I was never paleo. I don't know why I followed her. <laughs> <laughs> she was primarily a dietitian and kind of a nutritional mm-hmm. expert and had good recipes and would also talk about fitness. Mm-hmm. And then a couple years ago, she went through this massive change in her approach where she basically said, I realized that what I've been putting out there was essentially this very unhealthy diet culture. Wow. Now she's super into weightlifting, but like mm-hmm. she's ripped. Nice. <laughs> and it's very clear that this is not about being teeny tiny. Mm-hmm. This is about being strong and healthy. So mm-hmm. it's just, it was really, it was actually kind of refreshingly rare to see someone change their mind in public because there's a lot to lose in that. Yeah. I'm also thinking about Marie Kondo, who was like, um, just kidding. I had three kids and it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> Keep your books after all. <laughs> who cares if it sparks joy? You just need to get through your your day. Yeah. I, I also feel like I have a pretty complicated relationship with a lot of this kind of messaging. I, I always find that every one of them is like, this is going to change your life. And... Mm-hmm. I think they would be more accurately modified to say, like, this could help. Yes. But you're still you. Your life is still yours. Your problems are still your problems. <laughs> well, you just Aside. need to believe harder. <laughs> So we don't read these books, but I think I've read a couple. (laughs) I've read a couple. Um, Are there any ideas, phrases, maxims from the self-help world that you feel like have really helped you or that have resonated as true? Here's something that our listeners may not be surprised by. I wrote a speech for my high school graduation, and the whole metaphor for the speech was Sisyphus rolling his rock up, and then it rolled down, and then we would have to do it again. And I was like, that's life. We're going to be rolling our rocks up. I don't know why I thought that was a good, inspiring speech. Um, And I was just like, it's good work anyway. 
That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Because that image is usually such a like, you know, a Sisyphean task mm-hmm. is a terrible task that you feel like you have to do over and over again yeah. and you don't get farther. I think I made some point about how maybe we could see sunsets at the top of the mountain before the rock rolled back down or something. Uh, so that's where I've been my whole life. But okay, here is one that I I don't know that I like bought into the first time I heard it, but I definitely like get it now and think it's really true. I think it goes something like people overestimate what you can do in a year, but underestimate what you can do in 10 years. Or maybe it's like in a day, but a year. Not 10 minutes. (laughs) No, I think Mm. the idea, the idea is like people think that they can lose a hundred pounds and get rich in a year and they can't, but then they don't think that they could do it in 10 years like they under or they underestimate just how much 10 years of work can get you Mm. and and everybody focuses on that really short-term goal or that quicker fix but right um, right and then I think about Mm. some of the goals that I've had in life like career goals or writing goals and some of my friends that I look at that I've watched their trajectory including you, um, Alyssa, other friends, it feels like slow, steady work to get to where you have the book deals, the job Mm -hmm. that you were dreaming of, the thing that like 10 years ago felt like, oh, we're all kind of in this same place or whatever. And then it's like, oh, okay, you can get there. It just takes this like slow, steady discipline. Mm -hmm. Almost like having faith in the future that your efforts are going to actually produce the results that you want. Yeah. Uh, Okay. What about you? Any overused idioms that are actually like really helpful? Well, I, I cribbed this from the famous Instagram influencer, Mark Twain. He's so funny. And it's attributed to him saying, if you have to eat a live frog, do it first thing in the morning and nothing worse will happen to you the rest of the day. I'm, I'm, I'm task oriented enough mm-hmm. to really want the dopamine hit of like, I just accomplished the thing that I really actively dislike doing in the moment. Mm. <laughs> and now I kind of get this day of like either less hard work or minor rewards because I already did the thing that I was procrastinating on now. So. This is in theory many days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, can't, I can't claim to have never procrastinated on something I didn't want to do. So whenever I get emails or slacks or podcast scripts from you first thing in the morning, I should know that that was, that was the frog. <laughs> <laughs> no, this work is always the more fun work than whatever email I have to send to an author who's like several <laughs> months late on their manuscript. That is actually good advice. And I, you're one of the people that I'm like, if Caitlin said she's going to do it, she will do it. We will get it. So I guess eating frogs for breakfast helps. It actually really touches me to hear you say that because I really want to be the kind of person that's like dependable. You are. Okay. So there's some helpful stuff out there. (laughs) I think I've talked about this already, but I did the artist's way this summer with a group of people and I found it a useful tool for me. And one of the things that the book does is like offers a lot of activities and um, Mm. tasks that you have to do throughout the week. And so I thought it would be fun to do one together. And I picked one that I thought might help us think about our new year And what we might like to do or cultivate in 2024, not necessarily improve about ourselves. So additive, not Mm. like taking away. Mm, Something to cultivate. 
Right. Like, who do you want to be, not who don't you want to be? Which is, I think, what a lot of New Year's resolutions yes, are. Yeah, They're like, yeah. you need to be more organized. Yeah. You need to lose weight. You need to exercise more. Like, these are all the things you're doing wrong. So instead, like, let's mm-hmm. think about something that we would add to our lives. Okay. Well, how do, what's, what's the activity? Right. Yeah. This is going to be very fast, <laughs> fast pace, stream okay. of consciousness. I'm clearing my mind. If you think about it too long, you'll block yourself. Oh, no. All right. So we're going to make a few lists of five and we're going to give ourselves just off the top of our heads. Are yep. we writing them down? Yeah. Otherwise you'll forget. Okay. Um, all right. So you're going to have 30 seconds for each of these. I'm getting performance anxiety. This is so telling. Me too. Me too. Me too. All right. Have less performance anxiety. <laughs> okay. That's my goal. Um, put down mm-hmm. five hobbies that sound fun. Okay, stop. Okay. Um, five is hard. Five is a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you put? Go. Okay, okay, okay. okay. I, I put cooking, <gasps> dancing. Mm-hmm. Good. Rollerblading. Ooh. That was the surprise. Skiing. I've never skied. Don't tear your ACL like me. Oh, that was the voice of fear. That was the voice of fear. Was- <laughs> <gasps> well, I mean... It, it it it's a good fear, I think. Um, and then I just you know I return to karaoke because I can't give it up. What did you five hobbies that sound fun to you? Okay, Go. swimming, makeup arts. I would like to learn to do makeup better. I feel like you already do that. Thank you. I want to like take a class like or something. I think it would be fun. Uh-huh. Furniture restoration. Are you inspired by our friend Holly? I am. I am. I was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I put down cooking too. Mm. So maybe we can we can cultivate that together. And then the other one I put down is just coloring, which I, I wanted to put down. I wish I could put down painting, but I'm not. I don't think I'm talented enough at that. But I did get an adult coloring book a few years ago and I enjoyed it. All right, next up. Okay. Five things that you personally would never do, but that sound fun. Ready? 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Go. Okay. Stop. I only got to three. I only got to four. So... <laughs> Oh, well, let's just say well, what we I'm put. I'm going to get to four. <laughs> okay. I'm going to get to four. Okay. All right. You go first this time. Things you personally would never do that sound fun. I only got yeah. to four. That's okay. All right. Here's what I put we're, down. We're both so like, uh, we only got to four. We didn't hit five. <laughs> this is good for us. This is stretching. Okay. 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 All right. Karaoke. <laughs> just any kind of singing. I have done it, but I hope to never do it again in my life. Um. <laughs> But I think it's... But it sounds fun? It looks fun when other people do it. Yeah. My next two are sort of the same, and I think they're just in the class of, like, too dangerous, which is skydiving and f- mm-hmm. and free climbing. Mm-hmm. They both sound really cool to do, and they look... I don't know if free climbing looks fun. It looks super stressful, but it looks exhilarating, maybe. I'm never going to do it, so... Yeah. The last thing would be that I got would be being on reality TV. <laughs> Which I think sounds really fun. The Christian Housewives of New York. Hey. I think it sounds really fun and I kind of like wish I had had the gumption to like apply to something, but I don't think I ever would. But although I don't I, I don't see you going the rich socialite. No, I really wanted to be on Survivor. Yes. 
All right. All right. I also went aerial for one of mine mm. and said fly a plane. Ooh. Like I'll never do it. The fact that there are people who know how to successfully fly a plane is kind of amazing. And land it. Yes. Like if you think about what's actually going on from a physics perspective, it's incredible. Actually, I try not to think about it when I am flying. Yeah, yeah. I just want to <laughs> assume it's all going to work out. Yeah. I wrote write a novel. Mm. I don't think I ever will, but I super admire people who write fiction. It's not mm-hmm. my natural like way of writing, but I I think it's incredible. Yeah, I still want to do that someday. But um, my third one is hit on a stranger. Oh, ooh, you've never done that. <laughs> I mean, I have flirted hey. with someone I didn't know. Mm-hmm. The the image I have in my mind is seeing a cute guy from across the room at a party or a bar and just going for it. And like, I like your vibe. Can I get your number? Yeah. (laughs) They do it on TV all the time and it works. (laughs) You know, sex in the city made me think this was going to happen a lot more than it does. It made me think a lot of things were going to happen a lot more than they did. The last thing I put is retire early. Oh. I don't think I will, but I kind of, I admire people who have this year by year, decade Mm -hmm. by decade life plan to allow themselves to retire early. I just think like, what an impressive way to live. Seriously. So. All right. Last one. 30 seconds. Five things you used to enjoy doing. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Um, So the first two are very similar. Uh, I miss playing the piano Mm. and I miss playing in band like symphonic band just Mm -hmm. creating music either alone or with other people I really miss hosting people for dinner oh yeah (laughs) it just connects to wanting to gather people and I just haven't been able to do that for four years which is a little preview on one of my New Year's resolutions, which I think we'll get to <laughs> later. Um, and then the, I only got to four. The last thing I wrote down was drive. Oh, that's a good one. I miss driving too. And I mean like jumping in the car and going for a long Yeah, drive. like road like, trips. Yes. Or, yeah. Or just like hour or not even a road trip, but just like get in the car and go for a few hours. Like I miss that too. Yeah. What did you come up with? I used to like to scuba dive, which I wrote down, um, which is more just, I know it was really fun. I had like a few years where I did it and I got certified and all that. And I really enjoyed it. I also wrote down something sort of similar. Like you said, playing in a band and I wrote down like playing on a team sports Mm. for a few years. When I moved to New York, I was on like a league, like a basketball and a volleyball league. And it was really fun. And I missed, and I missed doing that. I also wrote down that I, I used to enjoy playing with Barbies. I don't know that I missed that, but the prompt was what you used to enjoy. And I did enjoy that as a kid. Like that was really fun. Mm. I also used to enjoy traveling at the drop of a hat, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just being super spontaneous and being like, yeah, I will go on that trip that's happening next week. And now I'm like, ooh, I, I need some time to plan, arrange my schedule. Yeah. You know, is that connected to the driving thing or are these more like jet setting trips? I think it was more jet setting. mm -hmm. I would very easily just be like, yeah, I will extend my work trip by three days just because I'm near some friends. And I would like make that decision last minute or change a flight to go somewhere I was not expecting Mm -hmm. to or whatever. Like I just felt more willing to do that. And now I'm much more attached to my home and my routines. I blame the pandemic. Um, The last one I wrote down was 
writing for fun, which I feel like I don't mm. do very much anymore. Like writing mm-hmm. feels like a task or it is work or, you know, I don't, I don't very often just find myself in the evening or something like writing poetry or writing yeah. little short stories or something like I used to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fun game. Mm-hmm. All right. So that last question, I think, is kind of at the heart of some of what the artist way gets at, which is a little bit about like, how do we get back in touch with our inner artist? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of us like kind of start out as dreamers or as adventurers mm-hmm. and like the messages mm-hmm. kind of get in the way and start to like bog us down. Mm-hmm. Or we we have the experience of trying something and it doesn't work <laughs> or we feel like it doesn't mm-hmm. work. And it's really easy to internalize that as well, I guess I shouldn't take risks anymore because any kind of creative activity requires risk. And sometimes it just feels easier to like stay in our lanes and turn off the dreams, you know, to give up our dreamer natures. Mm-hmm. So have you ever had a failure? <laughs> when I go hit on this guy in the bar, this is what I'm going to open with. <laughs> I think that's a good one. Yeah. Have you? Yeah. I would just walk up and be like, what's what's the biggest failure you've ever <laughs> experienced in your life? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I've, I've talked on here before about like a few failed romances, Mm -hmm. including one that I moved across the country for that kind of spectacularly blew up. And I feel like really messed with me in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and, and messed with my feeling of openness, Mm -hmm. um, to risk. But I think the biggest one, and one I've never talked about on here is that I had a, a book contract and it got canceled and it got canceled in the pandemic. And a lot of people's did. And there are a lot of contributing factors that I have at various times hauled out to make myself feel a little better about the contract getting canceled. But it really, it really hurt. It really crushed me. But also in the spirit of this conversation and and a preview of, of our guests later, mm-hmm. I think being curious about why I failed at that or why that didn't work has been good, good excavating work Mm -hmm. for me. And some of that was, I think that like, maybe I learned three lessons for me, which was like, it came a little too easy and the book contract. And I hadn't really like done the work to flesh out the idea or the thing that I wanted to write about or really figured out if it was even something I really did want to write about. I just said, yes. Cause I was like, this is my opportunity to do this, you know, Mm -hmm. like And then I think the second lesson I learned for me was that I, (laughs) this is probably too much for energy, but I was just like, I can't write a book I don't care about. And Mm. I just couldn't seem to make myself ever do that. I couldn't seem to like get over that, that maybe it wasn't the dream book, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think there's like things there that are not healthy, which is like procrastinating, not being able to just like do work, even when you're not inspired, all of that. Mm-hmm. But I also think there was something about not being very true to myself mm. with the content of that book or mm-hmm. the type of book mm-hmm. it was. Um, I don't remember what the third lesson was <laughs> that I was going to mention. I think it got mushed I, in there I, I somewhere. I feel like you, you gleaned a lot from, from that. But yeah, I think I would do it in a very different way mm. if I did it again. And If I pitched a book. Yeah. And if you did that, you'd probably end up with a better book. Yeah. What about you? Big failure. Oh, yeah. Um, Tell me about the worst thing that's ever happened to you, Caitlin, and what you learned about it. Just kidding. I mean, you know, as we have shared both 
on and off the podcast, I have also gone through romantic failure. I, I guess I've I've shied away from framing those breakups as failures, but it's hard not on some level to internalize it as such. Like yeah. in my late 20s, I just had three, three years, three different men that were in their own ways confusing, painful, crushing. You know, one of them was a broken engagement. Mm-hmm. And on one level, I can kind of look back and say like, everything works out as it should. And also, yeah, it's super hard not to have that make you afraid to jump into something. Yeah. Like, like having your heart broken multiple times in a, in a short period of time is like, how does anybody put themselves out there? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't, I don't think of this as a failure. I do think of it as an anxiety about a missed opportunity, which is simply that I really like my current job. And also there is this dream job that I have in my mind that I don't currently have. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if I have missed mm-hmm. my opportunity. Like, I just wonder if I've missed the boat, it's too late, and I Mm -hmm. just worry about that. Like, is the the failure more about you didn't take the shot? (sighs) Yeah. So, yeah, those are my vulnerabilities. Did you just get a mini vulnerability hangover? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I need to go lie down. (laughs) I'm never showing my face again. It can be hard to name these things. The word failure is just so heavy. Like... It's so easy mm-hmm. to t- to take, like, I experienced this failure. I went through a failure, too. I am a failure. Mm-hmm. Both the artist's way and our guest today talk a lot about reclaiming our sense of possibility, not getting bogged down in guilt or in our failures. This week, we are honored to be joined by Liz Forkin-Bohannon. Liz is the author of Beginner's Pluck a book all about starting fresh and includes some unexpected advice like dream small and own your average. Our conversation with Liz is coming up just after the break. Religion News Service is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. From Anglicans to Zoroastrians, RNS has religion covered A to Z. And if you like what we're doing at Saved by the City, let us know. Throw us a rating or a review. It goes a long way toward helping get the word out about the show. Before we wrap up this final season of 2023, we would love to get a few more of your weirdest ever date stories. You know we've mentioned this before. It's time to fess up. Head over to the Saved by the City hotline. It's at speakpipe.com slash saved by the city. Tell us in a few minutes, can be 30 seconds, the what, where, when, why, maybe not the who, <laughs> but all the other details of your strangest date experience. And one lucky participant will get some SBTC swag next season. You can also email us at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. We'd love to hear from you. When you hear the word land, what images come to mind? Your local garden, the environment, Mother Earth, 40 acres and a mule. What if I told you that our thoughts about land are rooted in religion? And those religious ideas have transformed American politics. This is Complexified a podcast for the religiously curious and politically frustrated. In this season of Complexified, we will unearth the different and often unexamined beliefs about land in search of new paths toward a common good. 
I'm your host, Amanda Henderson, coming to you from the Institute for Religion, Politics, and Culture at Iliff School of Theology and in partnership with Religion News Service. Follow Complexified on your favorite podcast app. We're excited to be joined today by Liz Forkin-Bohannon, the founder of Seiko Designs and the author of the very fun book, Beginner's Pluck, Build Your Life of Purpose and Impact Now. Thanks for joining us, Liz. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So you start early on in Beginner's Pluck, which great mm-hmm. title. <laughs> but you start by saying, like, if readers are coming to the book feeling lost or overwhelmed or clueless about their life, their passion, you say this is not a bad place to be. This is actually a miraculous place to be. So mm. why is that? When we are at a point in our life where we feel those feelings of being lost, being overwhelmed, feeling like we're kind of clueless, what that indicates is you actually don't have a crystal clear vision of where you're going. And I think that that inherently actually opens you up to more possibility, more creativity, and actually maybe making better decisions. The moment you kind of have this idea of like, this is who I am. This is what I'm called to in the world. This is what all my Mm -hmm. education has led to you kind of stop listening to the clues because you have a lot of vested interest in making sure that that specific idea works out. You start operating more out of this concept of sunk cost, Mm -hmm. right? But I've already Mm -hmm. invested so much in this. But in the long run, it actually leads us to making decisions that probably aren't the best decisions for us. You mentioned clues, following clues. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit about like what you mean when you say follow the clues or pay attention to the clues. Yeah, I think so often, especially when it comes to purpose and vocation, our culture and society specifically just has some very odd ideas. Mm. We have a lot of narratives of successful people in our culture that tell this story that's like, well, ever since I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. My kind of research and work has shown that that's true for about 20% of people. And so for the rest of us, One, we didn't come out of the womb with this calling or this interest or this passion. Two, it's not going to reveal itself in some sort of like dramatic, clear, oh my gosh, this was it all along, or the voice of God who says, I'm calling you to this thing. And so what does that leave us with? I think that can leave a lot of us feeling like kind of like scared or left behind or demoralized of like, okay, well then how do we figure it out? And the reality is everything around us is a clue. Mm -hmm. And if we see the world and we operate and we wake up in the morning, less being like, I'm waiting for the clear, dramatic, big thing to happen and more like, hey, probably before me today is a clue or two. I'm going to have a posture of curiosity and I'm going to be attuned to it. Even like our emotions are clues. And I think especially in Christian spaces, we have really sadly gotten rid of a lot of really rich opportunity to find clues about ourselves because we're so uncomfortable with negative emotions. Mm. And I think our negative emotions are actually some of our most powerful clues about our next best step. So let's take jealousy, for example. What's that? <laughs> never I've never that. experienced it, but I've heard other people <laughs> struggle with it. Yeah, same. Same here. So I'm really speaking uninformed about the subject, but here's what I knew about jealousy. It was bad. So in addition to being jealous, then I was, I felt guilty for being jealous and that the answer to jealousy was gratitude and Mm. contentment. I think jealousy 
is actually one of the most wonderful, beautiful clues. Ultimately, what jealousy is, is like an unmet desire. A lot of times our jealousy is actually based on something that isn't really real. We have a perception Mm -hmm. of somebody else's life. But even in that, it's still so helpful for you to go, what is it about their life, about this situation that's creating this emotion in me? Because what it's telling me is that I have an unmet desire Mm. in my life. And acknowledging an unmet desire is not the same as being a person who cannot be content. Mm -hmm. We're never going to see things like jealousy as a clue until we kind of like chill out and like de-shame our emotions a little bit. And instead of trying to control our emotions or fix them or change them, we just get really curious Mm. about them. Love that. I feel like you might have just been touching on this a little bit, but one of the things that you talk about is that you're not going to stumble on or find your passion and purpose. You have to build it. So... Talk a little bit about that distinction and what that's looked like for you and how you kind of help people think through that. The difference between finding and building, you could just be like, well, it's kind of just semantics. It's actually really not. The posture that those two words put us in are two very different postures. Building just puts you in a totally different mental posture, right? When you're like, I'm going to go build this thing. I don't care what it is, a gingerbread house, an actual house. All of a sudden, (laughs) there's like not a ton of like, luck or mysticism involved in that, right? You're like, okay, so the first thing that I need to do is like go to the store and get the ingredients. And then I need to roll out the dough. Can you tell I made gingerbread cookies with my kids last night? That's obviously where my head (laughs) is. It's very holiday appropriate. Also, gingerbread house feels a little bit more feasible (laughs) these days than building a house to live in. (laughs) Much more achievable. So I just meet so many people who are like in jobs that they hate. And they know that this is not the path for them. They are in a vocation where there is not alignment, there is not energy, there is not vision or excitement for where they are. But they stay in it because they're waiting for the next thing to appear before they like leave the thing that they know they hate. I've literally don't think I've ever met somebody where that worked for them. Mm -hmm. And so I think folks that see their lives less as a like a handful of really important decisions that are going to determine the entire path of their life and instead are like, I'm in an experiment. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try stuff. I'm going to be pretty open-handed about it. I'm going to be really curious and take notes about what worked and what didn't work. And then I'm going to take that information and I'm going to apply it to the next step that I take are infinitely more likely to build lives that are really full of purpose, passion, and ultimately make an impact. How do you think that gender shapes some of our desires and goals and how can we kind of break free from limiting myths particularly put on women yeah one i think it hugely impacts our relationship with risk and failure for a really good reason. I mean, the science shows that little girls grow up hearing be careful by a factor of mm. a lot compared to little boys now. In general, parents I believe are failing children of all genders because we are really underprotecting kids when it comes to the virtual world and we are way overprotecting kids when it comes to the physical real world mm-hmm. and that risky play in general is something that most American parents are not doing enough with either gender of kids. Mm-hmm. But we tend to encourage boys in risky play more than we do girls. So it starts, I think, all the way in childhood. This idea that we need to be more careful. We need to protect ourselves. Failure is harder and more embarrassing. And then it, it's no surprise 
that then you fast forward and let's look at some research about entrepreneurs. So in venture capital already, like less than 1% of venture funding is going to female founders. They did a study specifically that showed um, two founders. They were, you know, made up. And the only difference was their name. One was a very stereotypical male name and one was a very stereotypical female name. This mythical entrepreneur had started a venture and had failed at this venture and was now on round two of fundraising for a new venture. And so they kind of looked at how this context and this background narrative impacted the amount of funding or even like meetings that they could get from venture capitalists. And what they found is that with a male founder, they were actually slightly more likely to get a meeting because the narrative was, well, it's not their first rodeo. They tried it once. They probably learned a lot. They have a network. Even though they failed, they did it. It isn't their first time, right? And so the quote unquote male founder was more likely, just slightly, to get a meeting than if he would have been a first time founder. Mm. The female founder was significantly less likely to get a meeting because the narrative was confirmation bias. We already assume she's a female founder. She probably doesn't have what it takes. And look, her track record wow. proves it. She yeah. already tried once and she failed. So from starting in childhood all the way to adulthood, we do. Like we live in this world where there is this sense of confirmation bias that if a woman fails, it's because she's not capable of doing it. And for some of us, even coming from subcultures, that I can't believe in the year of our Lord 2023 that this is still a thing. But I think for some of us, we still live in worlds where people are like, because you shouldn't be trying mm -hmm. in the first place. This isn't God's will for you. You're trying to force yourself into a place that wasn't really made for you. So I think we have all of those things working against us. What do we do with that? Because that's kind of depressing <laughs> and demoralizing. Mm. I think we surround ourselves with people who have a different narrative, right? Like if you surround yourself with people who don't believe in those narratives and who are actively going against those narratives, it doesn't change that reality outright for the entire world, but it will change how that narrative impacts you and how you internalize it and show up in the world. And so I think one of the things specifically with women that I am so passionate about is cultivating real, authentic, transparent, committed community where you share all of the things. And that is the hard, the grief, the sorrow, the devastation. But mm. truly just creating a community that normalizes women celebrating their success because so many women that I meet, it's like their number one fear is appearing too confident. Mm. Mm. Or their number one fear is being like that someone would be like, wow, she thinks she's like the hot stuff. And it's just like, that's, that's it. Of all of the awful things that people are doing to one another, like this is the thing that we are most afraid of being perceived as. Yeah, I think about that even in corporate world too, where it's like, there's a real badge of honor in how tired you are and how busy you are. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think there's just this sense that you're really important if you're doing all of that. <laughs> totally. I'm like experimenting in my life right now with what it would look like to lean into the opposite of that. Because also it hasn't always been that way, right? Yeah. Like there's definitely been times in culture where rest and leisure were actually a sign right. of success, right? And now we're at this moment in culture where it's like, no, busyness and misery mm -hmm. is a sign of success. And I've been like joking with my friends. I'm like, listen, part of my vocational goal in this next season, I'm going to be a lady who lunches. <laughs> Very anti-capitalistic. I like it. One of the things that you do say in your book 
is that you encourage people to make very important promises. So maybe your very important promise to yourself mm-hmm. this year is that you will lunch. But <laughs> <laughs> can you talk about like, what is the power of a promise? And how do you make a good one to yourself? I think making promises is such a key part of building a beautiful life. So many of us are so willing and so quick to break a promise that we made to ourselves in a way that we would never do to somebody that we actually loved and respected, right? Where it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. a goal to work out three times a week is actually a promise to myself. Like, hey, I promise that I'm going to commit to my own physical health by working out for 30 minutes, three days a week. That's a promise that I'm making to myself. Well, when I wake up and I don't want to work out or... I read an email before I should have and uh, now my mind is spinning and I'm like, I'm just going to do this instead and answer this email really quick and then one thing leads to another and I never go work out. Like if I had made that promise to my kid, mm-hmm. like I promise you that tomorrow when we wake up, we're going to go on a walk and we're going to listen to an audiobook. I take that a lot more seriously. Like to break that promise to him and to look him in the eyes and said, I know I told you this, but mm-hmm. mommy's going in a different direction makes me feel guilty. and. I actually think guilt, super helpful emotion. We love to poo-poo on guilt. And that's because I think we've made every negative emotion like actually guilt. And it's just like a lazy way of thinking about our emotions. Actual real guilt, like I did something that doesn't align with my values and now I feel bad is like such a wonderful emotion. And it's like such a helpful guardrail. And so I say I would feel guilty in a way that I think is right. Like if I made a promise to Mm -hmm. my kid and then I broke the promise just because I'm like, nah, I don't really feel like doing that anymore. I wouldn't do that to my Mm -hmm. kid. I wouldn't do that to my best friend. I wouldn't do that to my partner, but I do it to myself all of the time. So I think part of it is kind of reframing how we think about goals of going, they're actually just promises that you're making to yourself and they do implicate other people. And then second, I think a lot of people make way too many promises. Mm -hmm. You can't be making promises willy-nilly. You're going to break your promises or you're going to run yourself into the ground. And at the end of the year, let's say you're going to look at the last year and go, literally, how did my life move forward in ways that I actually care about? I was busy all Mm -hmm. of the time. I was stressed all of the time. I felt overwhelmed all of the time. And yet, what did it get me? I feel like I'm literally right where I was last January. Well, that's because maybe one thing that you didn't do was figure out what are the very important promises you want to make about your own life? What are the three or four core values that feel most critical and important to you? And then once you establish that, what you're able to do is every other little thing that comes along that you could make a promise or not to, you get to ask, well, does that fit into these three or four things that I've identified as a very important promise in my life? And if the answer is no, I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And then alternatively, if something comes across your desk and you're like, okay, should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I commit to this? Should I not? And you go, well, that really directly relates to that core promise that you made. Then all of a sudden you can go like, okay, then yes, it's a yes. And I'm committing to it and I'm taking it really, really seriously. I take it that you are someone who lives with a lot of intentionality. And so I don't know if you would consider yourself a New Year's resolutions person. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners have like, complicated feelings about resolutions. But if you're willing to share and if you are a resolutions person, what are you hoping for looking forward to in 2024? Besides becoming a lady who lunch. (laughs) 
<laughs> Which is beautiful. <laughs> That's it. That's actually it. That is the number one goal that I have for 2024 is to be a lady who lunches. I do actually even think it's interesting that that has become such a disparaging thing in our culture. Can you imagine? That's how much we love a woman in this culture to just be miserable on behalf of everybody yes. else. That we would say a lady who eats lunch. It's like such a miserable, sad failure. Anyway, um, you are right. I am very, very, very intentional but I am not actually quite as goal-oriented as the average bear might assume that I am. And I think that is mm. because I have such a high value on curiosity and flexibility. Mm -hmm. I actually probably have like one or two maybe vocationally, one or two probably for my family, and then one or two for my just like way of being in the world, which would, you know, encompass community friendship, faith, those kind of aspects. I'm actually find myself being more like open and curious about how things will unfold. So I'm more mm -hmm. about be intentional about your everyday practices and getting yourself into the places where certain types of opportunity might present themselves. If you are not on the dance floor, opportunity will not ask you to dance. And I think about it probably a lot more in, in that way of like, what am I doing to make myself available? And mm -hmm. how am I intentionally pursuing a life that puts me in the places where I want to go? Then like, I have to accomplish this by the end of 2024. I think the slogan that I'm going to take into my 2024 is stay curious. Yeah, that's good. Mm, that's good. That would make me very happy. <laughs> By the way, if we're going to talk about how important curiosity is, the social science shows that your curiosity quotient, that's a real thing that can be measured, your CQ, wow. they mm. say, is just as, if not more important and more correlated to determining outcomes of long-term success than your IQ. I can't believe that we're not hearing this every day, that right. there are not like public <laughs> service announcements in billboards that are telling us this. And here's why. Because our IQ, like our inherent kind of, you know, intelligence, we can't actually change. It's kind of like a you get what you get. You can't throw a fit situation. Our CQ, we have control over that. Like we can train ourselves and we can intentionally become more curious people with higher levels of CQ. And just the science shows us you're probably more likely to achieve your goals and be successful. Like, why are we not putting all of our energy into just becoming more curious people? Mm. We also have more fun. Like, I tell myself this story. When something goes wrong, I get a flat tie, whatever it is. It's just like, that was a bummer thing that happened. This is my way of just like becoming a more curious person, do this thing where I'm like, it's time to go miracle hunting. I just tell myself a story. That bad thing that happened actually happened for me. It didn't happen to me. It happened for me. But I won't like get the satisfaction unless I am open and curious and awake to the possibilities of like what is actually for me that this kind of bad thing enabled. And you know what? Is that magical thinking? Maybe. If it leads me to feeling <laughs> happier, if it leads me to being more available to other people, yeah, fine, great. Call me a magical thinker mm -hmm. and like that's the world that I kind of want to live in. I like that. That'd be a real stretch goal <laughs> for me. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm open. <laughs> Are you though? We'll work no, on it. Yeah. That's all right. But, but I, want, I want to want to be, you know. Thank you so much for for your insights and your time, Liz. We really had fun with this conversation. 
it was really fun to talk to you. Good. Thanks for having me. All right. After all that, Caitlin, do you have a New Year's resolution mm. for 2024? I intend to add making out yeah. into my routine is the first thing that comes to mind. I have some art on my wall, but I would like to add more. Mm. I do have a sub stack and I try with some success to keep writing at it regularly. And so my goal is just to like double the number of subscribers. It's kind of an arbitrary mm. goal, but it would be rewarding to see that growth. And why not double it? Go subscribe, everybody. And then I think I need to move. Oh, Having more space would connect to other things that I want to incorporate into my life, like having people over for dinner or meals. Mm -hmm. And then the thing that I actually, a New Year's resolution I had for this year that didn't happen is that I would like to start playing piano again, just for fun. And I just don't, I literally don't mm -hmm. have the space for it. And so a move, more space, having people over, playing piano, and then also potentially being closer to friends, which I know we've talked about before. Yeah. So that's what's on my list. Right. Uh, do you have a New Year's resolution or an intention for 2024? Um, well, I think I'm going to plan a wedding, which is kind of a big deal. So that I feel like is going to take a lot of space in my life. But um, I think that I need to do some mobility training mm -hmm. slash physical therapy, like some stuff to just be more intentional about injury prevention, essentially. Mm. I really want to take a writing class, mm. either creative nonfiction or maybe even fiction, but just something to have some accountability mm -hmm. and structure so that I can write for fun again. Yeah. And then the last thing is, and I don't have, I don't have a real, real specificity around this one yet, but I really want to be more intentional about connecting with friends, especially friends that live farther away. Mm. Like, I think I've really been pretty, pretty good about, about my friends who live nearby and seeing people and building community and all of that. But I think since the pandemic, I've really like mm. let some of my long-term, longer distance friendships kind of wither. And that makes me really sad. Mm -hmm. And so I want to, pour a lot of energy into that in 2024. Mm. I think these are all great intentions. Are we going to read the Bible? No. I mean, I will read the Bible, but I'm not going to read the whole thing in a year, let's be honest. I, I say yes. Okay. we set right. our dates now for February 15th, 2024 and see have we made any progress in any of these things. Is that a special date? It's just the time when most resolutions die. <laughs> And also about the time when we will be coming back from our winter break. Yes. Do you want to tell us more about the winter break? What's going to happen? What can listeners expect? All right, listeners, we're going to take our traditional winter break. Uh, go away for Christmas, uh, the new year, focus on our resolutions. And we'll be back in mid-February. Until then... You can expect a few best of episodes that we've really loved that we hope that you will check out again or for the first time. And you should also expect a fun midwinter four-part series from me and our good friend Tyler Huckabee. I think that you will not want to feel left behind by not listening to that. Mm. That was a little clue. <laughs> I think, I think they got it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Saved by the City is a religion news service production. The producer is Jay Woodward and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. We get production assistance from Julia Windham and Elizabeth Joy Windham. Chaz Rousseau put together our look and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. We are Roxy Stone and Caitlin Beatty. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.